Back in the 1980s, one of the popular things for groups and particularly for students in ministry were these items called ropes courses, these high element challenges where you, you tethered yourself to some sort of carabiner and rope and somebody's holding the other end and you did really stupid things up in the air that you wouldn't normally do. I was a ropes course instructor in the early 90s, and one of the things that we had at the camp that I went to was an element that was called the mopole. And here's what it looked like. You would climb to the top of a 30-foot telephone pole, as if you worked for um, AT&T, and then you would stand up on that telephone pole, and you didn't have anything in front of you because you're tethered to the rope with a double harness behind your back, and then there, seven feet in front of you is a trapeze with all of that earth beneath you that you were to leap out and to try to grab the trapeze. Raise your hand if you want to do this. <laughs> Not a whole lot of takers with this. And we're cycling through the students, and of course the point is for them to do something that they wouldn't normally do and to overcome their fears. There was this one guy who was this particular high school athlete and jock, and everybody was kind of encouraging him to do it. And he's like, all right, all right, all right, I'll do it. And so we put the materials on him, and we secured him, and he started making his way to the top of that telephone pole. And when he got to the top of that telephone pole, no matter how confident he had been, no matter how strong he was, no matter how handsome and all the girls swooned over him, he grabbed the top of that telephone pole and wouldn't move. He wouldn't come down and he wouldn't go up. And what was supposed to be a few moments turned into at least 15 minutes where he was completely stuck. Why was he stuck? He was consumed by fear. I want you to reach for your Bibles this morning and we're going to see our way out of this kind of fear. And turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. And while you're doing that, I want to show you the roadmap that we've been on. In the book of Genesis and in the month of January, we talked about the covenant of God or the promises of God, how God established himself with a family. And then God becomes the Lord of a people that go from slavery and bondage into that, into freedom. And the journey from freedom and salvation and into the promised land was not a straight line. It was not the 11-day journey that it could have been in order to get into the promised land. They had to go through a period of time in the wilderness. And the question that we're facing this morning and that's central to the whole book of Numbers is this. How did 40 days become 40 years? How did something that was supposed to take a particular moment end up losing a generation? How did the wilderness go from something that you were supposed to get through to something that they were stuck in? The short answer to that is that they became consumed by fear. Now, one of the things that I know that is a muscle that we need to exercise as we're going through this journey through the Bible is that we need to learn to read the Bible and to read longer passage than what we're used to. One of the things that's happened in American Christianity is that we've gotten so accustomed to a verse here and a verse here and a verse here and a verse here, when if we really wanna have a dynamic relationship with the living God of the word, we need to be able to be absorbed in longer passages. So 
We're going to read a longer passage, which is why I want you to be able to follow along with your own eyes. In the first part of Numbers chapter 13, we find out that the Lord is sending them as spies into the land, and then it lists the spies, and then in verse 17, let's pick up the story. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for first ripe grapes. And what we find in this next paragraph is that they bring grapes back that are so big that they have to carry them tethered to a pole. Let's start again in verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit, but the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land and only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the lands, tore their clothes. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. And then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it. 
By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. And they have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you go before them in the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them an oath, and so he slaughtered them in the wilderness." Now may the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion, and yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. And the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on an oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. And since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow, set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. And so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fail. Every one of your 20 years or old or more who was counted in the census who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hands to make your home except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness." Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness for 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land. You will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to the whole wicked community which has banded together against me, and they will meet their end in this wilderness." Here, they will die. Anybody have any questions? <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. You didn't say that with a lot of conviction. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Not just a little bit of scripture the whole story. This is a story about when faith turns into fear and when fear 
becomes faith. Now, a lot of the times I have to take old stories and bring them to life and then help you to not just understand them and apply them. This is one of those stories that is so vivid that all I need to do is to draw your attention to the principles because I imagine you can't help but see application everywhere in a story like this. What happens when faith becomes fear? It begins, we find out that fear begins with uncertainty. That God tells them and Moses responds to send the spies into the land to go and to see this land for themselves. And by the way, there's so many principles today, just in case you're interested, and this is even true online, we've put it on the website, you have a little outline for your message today, and I believe that you might want to capture some of these things down and write some of these things down to be able to take you deeper into this text, because this text is a master class and not being consumed by fear. And let me give one little caveat here at the beginning. I'm not talking about clinical fear at this point. I'm talking about the fear that consumes all of us. Faith begins with uncertainty in the sense that what we find out, as Max Lucado says, that fear is a meteor shower of what ifs. And then what faith does as that uncertainty goes is that it grows into rumors. And these rumors start to spread among the Israelites by a phrase that's repeated over and over again, a bad report, a bad report, a bad report. And I'm not talking that fear grows purely by just rumors of two people talking to one another or the fact that social media is just basically a gossip and rumor creating technology. You can even have bad reports and rumors that swirl around in your head. And that's what enables a little fear to turn into a consuming fear. And then when faith becomes fear, it begins with uncertainty, it grows by rumor, and then thirdly, fear exaggerates the challenges. Did you notice in the passage that they kept talking about how the people who lived there were giants and they felt like little grasshoppers? When fear starts to take over your life, what is a challenge or an opportunity before you gets blown way out of proportion and things get supersized in a way that they're out of control. And then next, fear after it is exaggerated, it also begins to warp or to distort reality. Did you notice in the story that they long, they pine for the days of going back to Egypt? Remind me what their vocations were in Egypt again. They were slaves. Oh, the good old days in Egypt. If only we could have gone back there. And then what happens after their distorted reality starts to take over their minds and their conversations is then they start to seek blame because this is what fear does next. Can you think of any examples where we have exaggerated the truth, distorted reality, and started to blame our leaders? Is this relevant to us at all today, or is it just me? This is what they say, that, you know what, Moses, the one who had led them through the dry waters and out of the largest empire of the world and had guided them through, safely, through the wilderness. Moses, who had helped to give them God's word, the Ten Commandments. 
Now they want to blame him and stone him and get rid of him. And then what happens next if these things start to take root is that fear starts to sour and to complaint. If there is one word that defines God's people in the wilderness, it is the word to grumble. That over and over again, they complain. They complain that they don't have enough water. They complain that they don't have enough meat. Then they complain that they have too much meat. They complain that manna doesn't taste very good. They complain and grumble against Moses, against God, This is the primary characteristic of God's people, that they are grumbling. In other words, they are a people of discontent. They are never satisfied. I believe this has happened to us today. That we're never satisfied. And that criticism and contempt and blame and grumbling have become the primary features by which we relate to one another in our society today. And then finally, fear leads to destruction. At the very end of chapter 14, God's people show their true colors and their full rebellion against God and try to go into the promised land their own way when God has told them that they can't. In other words, fear, when it consumes and takes over, always becomes self-destruction. This is what happens. This story is unbelievable in its wisdom of what happens when trust, when faith, devolves into fear. And I believe in America today, particularly over these last couple of years, politically, socially, technologically, in almost every dimension of our lives, we're in a period of wilderness right now where exaggeration and complaint And all of these qualities are the primary characteristics of how we relate to one another and we relate to God. And what we need to learn in this story, which is mostly bad news, we need to learn how fear can become faith. And the first thing in order to do that with this minority report with Joshua and Caleb is that faith tells us first to focus on the fruit. One of the things I love about Joshua and Caleb is that they say over and over again, the land is exceedingly good. And they produce the evidence. Someone has once said that fear is false evidence appearing real. And Joshua and Caleb focus on the real evidence of what God has done And how good the land is that they're called to enter in to possess. The second thing that happens with faith is that faith places confidence in God. In other words, just as your mind is your place of first freedom and that your mind is the ignition of the engine that is your mind... What you focus on, what your attention is, is what what ignites the, the mind to do... 
we also have the heart, and our heart has to place its confidence and its trust in something. In that moment of fear in the New Testament, when, when the disciples are afraid of drowning in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus asks the question, where is your faith? In other words, it's not a question of whether you have faith or not. It's only a matter of where you put your confidence, where you put your trust, where you put your faith. That's what the question that we have to answer is. Is your confidence in yourself? Is your confidence in your own abilities? Where is your confidence? It will only find its true hope in God and in him alone. And what we see is Joshua and Caleb and Moses keeping their confidence in God and in his promises as opposed to the bad report of the spies. And then there's finally this. Faith offers tenacious prayers. My favorite part of this story, which I hope you're noticing as you wander through the Old Testament, is that you're getting a lesson in prayer is that our stained glass prayers are nothing like the prayers of the Bible. When you think about Abraham, you know, praying on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. When you think about Moses here, where where God's had it, he's fed up with his people. And Moses is like, oh, no, you don't, God. Mm -mm. Remember your promises. Remember your character. Remember who you are. You and I in our sanitized prayer life, have you ever prayed anything like the way that Moses does in this passage? Do you have the audacity and the tenacity to be able to pray in a way like this? God can handle your prayers like this. Moses tenaciously clings to the promises that God has made. And that God is with them. For you see, in the New Testament, one of the most common commands in the New Testament is to be not afraid. And then there's a statement that is most often paired with that phrase, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. That's the most common command in the New Testament given to his people. And the most common thing that goes along with it is the phrase, do not be afraid, for I am with you. This is what Moses reminds God. Oh, if we would learn how to pray like this. Oh, if we could learn how to trust like this. Oh, if we could learn to keep our attention on the right things. Then we wouldn't live in the wilderness. The wilderness is not a place to live. It's a place you're supposed to get through. I understand these years have been hard. I understand that they're challenging. I understand that they've been tragic. We're not supposed to live here. We're supposed to get through them. And we will stay in the wilderness if we will stay consumed by fear. And the point of this story is that if you're not careful, you can lose a whole generation in the wilderness before the seeds of faith take root once again and that we're willing to inherit the promises that God has in store for his people.
You might be wondering, what happened to that jock who was hanging on the telephone pole at the beginning of the story? Fifteen minutes or longer, stuck to the top of that telephone pole. Encouragement didn't work. Words of affirmation didn't work. I had to get another facilitator. And we had to hook up the other harness. And I had to climb the pole. And I had to come alongside him and say, you can't stay here. (laughs) Other people are supposed to do this. And he whispered to me, I think I'm afraid of heights. (laughs) I said, I know. You can either go forwards or you can go backwards. But you can't stay here. Would you like to go forward? And he nodded his head. And one little step at the time, He pushed up to the top of that telephone pole. And he reached out. And he caught the trapeze. People cheered like crazy. Because they wanted to turn. (laughs) You can't stay here, church. You can't stay here, Atlanta. You can't stay here, America. You can go forwards or you can go backwards. You can live by fear. Or you can live by faith. Let's pray. Forgive us, God, for wandering in a place that we were only meant to walk through. Where days have turned into years. And will you help us in this moment, O God, to get through the uncertainty and the the rumors and the challenges and the distortions and the blames and the complaints and even the self-destruction. And help us to focus on you and your promises. Help us to place our trust in you and to offer bold and tenacious prayers. Thank you, God. Thank you that you are with us and draw near to us in the midst of our fears. Take us out of the wilderness. Help us to not lose this generation. And remind us that courage isn't the absence of fear. It is fear that has said its prayers. And we offer this in Jesus' name.